Hello everyone, welcome to Cricket with an Accent. It's been a while. Uh, we have a little panel today. Uh, I'm Sakib hosting the show and uh, we have Bharat Ramraj uh, who is the editor at CrickBuzz and Sanket Singhbal, you know, Twitter powerhouse, you know, Australia analyst, you can call him whatever, but you know, the guy knows the, knows the game. And today we are here to talk about England, you know, which is easily one of the favorites heading into this World Cup. They are the host and Australian team, which is I think coming along fine, uh, and they could be a real threat, according to me. And let's weigh in with the experts. How are you guys? Oh, for yeah. After a long time. Yeah, I think I was just looking at the Skype call. Last call was on January 20, so we are back exactly, uh, almost after three months. So it's good time. Yeah, we'll yeah, be yeah. previewing these two teams. So let me put Sanket, uh, you right on the go here. So. Mm-hmm. With Steve Smith and David Warner back in the mix, you think they make the lineup when Australian team is announced uh, in a couple of days? I think both will be in the squad. I think uh, I don't think there's any question marks over their place in the squad. There was some rumors that Steve Smith might be left out of the squad, but I think you know the reports that I, whatever I'm reading in the Australian media, uh, seem to be that I think he's pretty much assured of a place in the squad because it's it's just too big a risk to leave out a player of that stature and that. Caliber, uh, you know, uh, out of the World Cup squad. Uh, obviously, there are still some concerns over his fitness because even though he's been playing the IPL, he's, he's not been able to throw properly. He's, he's throwing underarm. Although I think he pretty much revealed that before the tournament that he won't be able to throw at full tilt in the IPL, but he expects to be all right by the time the World Cup comes along. His batting performances haven't been, you know, he hasn't really been his. It hasn't really looked particularly fluent, but then again, T20 is probably not his format anyway, so I'm not too sure how much you can read into his IPL performances. Uh, but yes, I think both of them will be in the squad. As far as uh, whether they are in the final 11 is concerned, I think I think the jury is still very much out as far as Steve Smith is concerned and how his fitness shapes up over the next next month or so. But I think David Warner is probably one of the first names on team sheet mm. on current form and considering the overall pedigree. Okay, uh, that sounds like a talking point when we uh, take a deeper dive into this conversation. So, Bharat, uh, before we start breaking the Australian squad and some predictions, who's going to make it, do you want to throw some historical perspective for the World Cups, especially surrounding Australia, since, you know, you have a very sharp memory and you're, you're like a cricket Wikipedia here? World Cup, you have to think, first of all, uh, how one-day cricket came into existence. So, See, 1960s, uh, there were a lot of uh, domestic one-day matches played in England. Had this Gillette Cup, had this uh, Midlands knockout tournament, which came, I think, into existence in 1962 because uh, audiences in county cricket, it was on a decline. 1961, <coughs> the, it was around uh, 9,69,000. The audience for county cricket in decline to 7,00,000. 19,963. So, one day cricket came into existence. And then 1971, of course, January 5th, the first one international was played again by accident because there was a lot of rain in, at the MCG and uh, they hastily uh, decided to play one day international uh, with uh, Graham McKenzie balling to boycott, Jeffrey boycott of all people. Of course, no one then believed that it would be so big. Uh, one day cricket, uh, someone like Ian Chappell said, he never thought it would grow so much. And Ashley Mallet said, uh, I thought it was a big joke, a big circus. Uh, then, of course, uh, in 1973, I think it was July 25th, 1973, uh, the International Cricket Conference then uh, decided that uh, we would hold Men's World Cup. Of course, at that time, Women's World Cup was already held. Uh, but again, there was not much funfair going into the 1975 World Cup. Uh, not much of uh, advertisement. It's believed that uh, only when Jimmy Connors lost to Metravelli in the quarterfinals that uh, everyone started recognizing the oh, World Cup was going on in England. Uh, Javid Mendes was one of them who said uh, some of the players didn't know what World Cup itself was uh, <laughs> when the marketing wasn't great. And uh, in the first match, it didn't start well. You know, uh, England absolutely thrashed India by some 200 odd runs, 200 runs with Gavaskar playing that. Uh, well, a curious knock that was 36 not outs. And uh, it's only during the second round of matches maybe that Pakistan-West Indies game. 
uh, when uh, about uh, what uh, the thriller of a game when about 20000 came in and ticket sales uh, sort of went up uh, but at that time the 1975 don't really believe so so for example only at the last moment they got this potential sponsor uh, they they agreed to sponsor and they had to incur cost like something like 1 100000 pounds so yeah when when it comes to world cup uh, it's not something at that time anyone really envisaged that it it would become so big uh, but yeah it's now we are in 2019 and uh, and their world cups have to take place hmm. so that's quite a quite a journey eh? you are right i mean it used to be 60 over games a potential world cup and and then it progressed to 50 and now you know we are in 2019 when it's uh, one of the most watched events of course uh, the uh, indian subcontinent uh, actually the only thing uh, i remember a quote was is jeff thompson uh, i think it was queen queen uh, had uh, sort of uh, i think she had entertained all the guests uh, with a uh, big buffet or whatever she, she had she had entertained the guests and jeff thompson had said hey, this queen is great so <laughs> they were all sort of take, had taken it lightly at that time So uh, one more thing, and uh, let's bring Sanket in, who's uh, who's been a big Australia supporter. So Sanket, what are some of your defining moments as a fan, and just not even Australian fan? Uh, what are some of the defining moments happened in the World Cup? If you were to summarize few. Well, I think the first World Cup that I watched at the property was the 2003 one. I still have I have some fleeting memories of the 99 World Cup. I was just five years old at that time, but I have some fleeting memories of what. waking up in the afternoon and watching shane won clean up the pakistanis and i was really happy at that time uh, and then the 2003 world cup that, that that's the one world cup that I, i think i followed properly uh, and you know uh, obviously the, the dominance of australia i think this, the world cup started off with the news of shane won being banned for a year due to his uh, a failed drug test and and then andrew simons playing that innings against pakistan uh then in india having a very mediocre performance against holland after which there was outrage back home and there was some uh, fans burning effigies of of players and then sachin tendulkar coming out and making a public statement uh, to appeal to the fans to support the team and then backing it up with an outstanding tournament ending up as the man of the tournament ricky ponting playing that tremendous innings in the final uh, there are other memories as well i think uh, i mean I, as someone who was you know a big supporter of england england at that time i think that defeat to australia at port elizabeth in the 2003 world cup is something that really stands out and that was when michael bevan and andy pickle staged a remarkable comeback from uh, a, a pretty much a hopeless situation and then obviously the 2007 world cup that that for me was i think probably one of the most ruthless dominations that i've ever witnessed in cricket history because you know australia were coming into that tournament with the reputation of a team somewhat in decline it was an aging side they had just been whitewashed 3-0 by by the kiwis in new zealand and, and, and there were some talks that they could be there for the taking and and then suddenly they come out of the world cup and just pretty much blew everyone out of sight even in 2030 even in 2003 they had some matches which could have, could have gone either way like that match against england even against kenya they had a bit of a stutter but in 2007 they pretty much you know stomped everyone out of their path so that 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 for me was a real stand out as far as world cup was concerned 2011 i'll be honest I, i wasn't able to follow that world cup all that all that much because it clashed with my exams i only followed the knockout stages and obviously i think the result end result was pretty disappointing for me <laughs> but yeah i think i think watching sachin tendulkar lift the world cup was you know some, some consolation because i think the man really deserved it after you know all that he had given to cricket uh, over over 24 years and then the 2015 world cup I, i would say even though australia won it i think that that's probably the most you know boring world cup that i've seen because i think the pitches were way too flat the matches were in extremely high scoring and there were very very few actually close games the only two games that are of real note were played in new zealand at eden park the, the australia new zealand game the group stages the semi final and, and the pakistan south africa game i think these are the only three matches that really stand out as being close other than that i think it was a pretty disappointing tournament again australia being very dominant although not quite as dominant as 2007 campaign 
but yeah, it, it was a very, very strong performance. Mitchell Stark really standing out. So yeah, that, that, that's, that's, these are the, my memories of the World Cup. Yeah, there you go. There's some very heavy Aussie memories, but you know, so you've been very uh, open about your you know fascination of Team Australia. And today we are going to start off our, our uh, World Cup uh, kickoff podcast with the Australian squad. So Bharat, uh, the squad's like what 48 hours from away, away from being announced. So who are the 15 according to you that will make this trip for Australia? You can start with a batsman or captain. I mean, go easy, you know, but uh, I'm sure you have your list. Finch will be the captain, that's for sure. So we have Finch, Smith, uh, Warner, uh, Finch, Smith, Warner, Kawaja. I don't actually, haven't really thought of it. Okay, Austin Squared. Uh, Aston Tanner won't be there. So, And then you have uh, Mitchell Stark. Obviously, he will get in. Not too sure about uh, this Josh Hazelwood. Uh, Adam Zampa will be there. Uh, so then the middle order, you have uh, Handscom will be there. Then uh, the rest of the team you will have Jay Richardson. You might just sneak in. I'm not too sure. You might just sneak in. I don't know whether Josh Hazelwood is another one. Uh, not too sure whether you will get into that squad. Berendorf? So, there, Berendorf, uh, there's Colton Isle as well. Uh, Nathan Colton Isle is there. So. It's, it's just been ruled out the IPL is injured. So, yeah. again, some uncertainty over his fitness. So, Australian squad, then obviously Pat comes to lead the attack. There's no doubt about that. He's come of age. Uh, Nathan Line, second spinner, who will they go for? That is some something again uh, for the graphs. I'm, I'm not at all sure this Nathan line should get in there. Uh, then uh, <laughs> are, we, are we overlooking Sean Marsh or does he make the cut? Sean Marsh will definitely definitely will get in there. Uh, if not, the main level will definitely get in there. Fifteen. So Aston Turner, I'm not. I think he will get into fifteen. Uh, just, uh, really. I think it depends on the composition of the squad. So yeah, my my squad is I think I, I've gone going in with Finch, uh, Warner, Kawaja, Smith, Hanscom, uh, Maxwell, Carey, uh, and, and then you've got the all rounders. I'm actually you know Marcus Tonis has been the incumbent Stonis. over the last twelve months, but I, personally I would go with Mitchell Marsh. I think he's a better, but I think he's a much better bowler and he's just an equally good batsman. But and I, I think he's better better suited to coming in and coming in and smashing the ball because I think Stoinis really struggles to rotate that strike. His recent form hasn't been great either. But I think they'll probably go in with Stoinis. I think this is probably a little bit of wishful thinking on my part. Uh, as well, I think Pat Cummins, Mitchell Stark with the ball, uh, and Adam Zampa. I think I'm not too sure about the identity of the third seamer because you know that uh, I think Jai Richardson was probably the red hot favorite before before his injury. But again, there are some. Concerns over whether he will eventually make it. Just one. There is one report I, I only put up that Jai Richardson uh, shoulder is, is not dislocated, so it's a bad bruise. So you might just get it in. It's, it's, there yeah, is no yeah, dislocation. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've, I've read that, but again, there is no real you know clarity over the extent of the injury and, who, uh, and his recovery time and whether he will get in. Uh, I mean, jo- uh, Peter Leila was uh, saying in the in one of the Australian cricket podcasts that Josh Hazelwood was not really in their plans for the World Cup and he's been preserved for the Ashes. But now with the injury to Nathan Coulton, I, I'm not too sure whether they will go ahead with that and that that might just that might just get Hazelwood into the squad because otherwise the squad becomes a little too inexperienced. So yeah, that that's probably you know Richardson is the third seamer, Hazelwood. That's probably uh, that, that's probably the seam attack if they go with. If they go with the fifth quick, then I think they'll probably go in the second left arm or that, and in which case Berendorf has a chance. If they go in with only four seamers, then I don't think Berendorf gets in there because you know, you've already got one left arm or initial stack. And the problem with Berendorf is that he's quite limited. He's pretty much a new ball specialist, and you can't really have that when you're going in with only four frontline quicks. You need bowlers or versatile who can bowl at different stages of innings. Uh, and then I think the spinners pretty much pick themselves. I'm not too sure I would have invested in Nathan Lyon to begin with, but he hasn't done much wrong, so I guess he, he'll probably make the 
cut. Hopefully, he will not feature in the playing 11 too often. Uh, and then, as I said, uh, as far as the backup batsman is concerned, Sean Marsh gets in if they don't go in with a fifth seamer. Uh, because I think that, 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 that for me is the toss-up. Because whether they go in with the extra bowler, fast bowler, because, because the uncertainty over the fitness of fast bowlers, or whether they go in with extra batsmen because there is uncertainty over the fitness of Steve Smith as well. So it will be interesting to see which department, uh, which direction they lean in with regards to that 15th member of the squad. Ashton Turner, personally, I would have picked him in the squad ahead of probably Sean Marsh, but he didn't play a single game in the UAE, so I think he's probably, I think his card has already been marked. So, yeah. Okay, so that brings me to the question of the format of the tournament. This is a tournament me and Bharat were talking before we started, very similar to 92, where everyone will play everyone. It's a long tournament. So, Bharat, let me bring you in for this. Uh, a lot of times, you know, when fans are discussing, you know, there's, there's English conditions, but how much of conditions are a play in a tournament like a World Cup that starts at end of May? And what are the conditions there? And do these conditions favor Australia or any team? See, when you think of some something like 99 World Cup, Dukes, they use Dukes. So that's one pick. Uh, and because of that, Alain Denal had to come in as first change. And now they're using these white cucumber balls. And uh, if you notice, last three, four years, it's rarely swung. The only time the white cucumber ball has really swung in limited overs cricket was the IPL 2018. Maybe they different. They used a different batch of balls. So that is something one has to consider. Pitches as well, uh, last three, four years in England, it's been mostly flat for one day cricket, it is. Uh, one international. So, the one, one match where it seemed around a bit was that uh, England South Africa ODI uh, 2017, just before Champions Trophy. And uh, Mike Hunt at the Lord's Groundsman had left eight millimeters of grass. So, that one uh, seemed around, other than that, I can't really remember. Yeah, but when you think of movement, uh, the other one was, yeah, that's pace and bounce, but not movement, right? So, 2015 ODI as well, between the two two teams at the same venue, that was when there was some same movement in John Hastings and Mitchell Marsh won Australia that series. But not considerable. Little bit of sea moment, you also got it at Leeds when England played it, India in that ODI. Little bit of swing, a little bit of sea. But uh, not considerable. So when you think of English conditions, the only way you, can, you might see it is if you get very heavy rains early May. So because of that, some overnight rain or something, definitely enough moisture content would seep in. And uh, if that happens, it will do a little bit. Whatever the curator uh, will try to prepare, even if he tries to prepare a flat pitch, if you get heavy rains, obviously you will get a little bit of uh, movement of the pitch. For bowlers, uh, but with while you saw that even in the 2017 Champions Trophy, the white cucumber ball didn't really swing. Uh, of course, they would bring in clouds, some would bring in the cloud theory, but uh, even if you bring in that in the 2017 Champions Trophy, most yeah. of the games were played under uh, clouds and uh, it didn't really swing. Yeah, Champions Trophy was an extremely rain affected tournament, yet there was hardly any swing movement. So that's exactly what I was about to mention. So, so I'm not too sure if we'll get too much of English conditions. You might get an odd tight track. And odd track where it might seem around a little bit depending on how much rain you would get. Okay, so Sanket, uh, let me bring you in, uh, building upon on what Bharat just explained about the conditions in May and you know the usage of the ball and how cricket is played in that part of the world. Is Australia, you know, with the IPL and the two ODI series they had, do you think they are... Uh, as best prepared they can be. Of course, you know, Smith's, you know, coming back after the suspension, but then he has an elbow injury. He doesn't look back to his 100%. Uh, but overall, as an Australian supporter and Australian analyst, you think, uh, you know, with given all things, the, the prep leading to the World Cup, is that ideal? Yeah, I, I would say so. I think, you know, Pakistan didn't really field the first, first choice 11. I think they rested quite a few first choice players. So I think that, that probably, you know, just dampened the importance of that series a little bit because I think a series against a full-strength Pakistan, I would have expected Australia to prevail still, but that would have probably been a little bit more competitive and that would have given, I think, probably a tougher match practice. But the series against India, I think that was that the comeback from 2-0 two, two, two down, I think that, 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 that was really a shot in the arm for the Australian team, which had been, you know, which hadn't won an ODI series for 21 months. And, and suddenly come and win 
to break that streak against the best side, uh, against one of the top two sides in the world in their own den. Uh, that, that was a considerable achievement, and Australia seemed to have carried on that momentum and swept Pakistan, even though it wasn't the greatest Pakistan side. Uh, but the, the manner in which uh, they were dismissed uh, and whitewashed, I think that that was very impressive, and that, that was sort of reminiscent of the old ruthlessness which he, with which you used to associate Australian cricket in the past, and not the timid, uh, you know, bland style of ODI cricket that they, they'd been playing for the you know two 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 to three years preceding this preceding this last couple of months. So yeah, I think definitely something to look forward there. And as I said, I think as far as conditions are concerned, I think Bharat explained it really well. I think the conditions in one-day cricket these days are pretty much monotonous, so I don't think it really matters where you have been playing in the lead-up to the series. Even if you're playing in the subcontinent, it's still a decent preparation for a series in England because even in, even for the World Cup in England, spin bowling is expected to be expected to feature prominently. Wrist spin is expected to feature prominently, and uh, Australia had match practice against the best wrist spinner in limited overs cricket these days uh, in the form of Kuldeep Yadav. So I think that that that's as good a practice as you can expect. So yeah, I think I, I reasonably well satisfied with the preparation. Obviously, apart from the players who are returning from ban or injury, because it's not just Smith and Warner, even Mitchell Stark hasn't played cricket since this test series against Sri Lanka. Uh, Jai Richardson, obviously, he has been playing, but you know he's just injured himself, so we don't really know how he'll be returning. Josh Hazelwood hasn't played since the New Year's test against India, uh, a series in which he struggled. So again, his form and rhythm is very much de- uh, uh, debatable. So yeah, some some concerns, but I think overall the mood is a lot more positive than it was the last time we spoke on this platform. Hmm. Oh, so that's Can I just add one point? Sure, so go ahead. Point about, see, Australia one key point in this is uh, against India. The Australian paces were trying to vary their pace. Uh, something like someone like Pat Cummins was trying to bowl quick and more quick against South Africa. Same thing with Mitchell Stark in that one-day series. But against India, uh, in that sec- third ODA, I think it was a yeah, third ODA, he first of all used uh, scramble seam, then he used cross seam. And the fifth ODA, he was trying slower balls. So this is something uh, maybe under Troy Cooley they started doing this. They started wearing their pace. Other paces also started yeah, wearing think, their pace. That's yeah. one key good, point. Good point. Good point. Good point. Yeah, because think, they don't the really vary their pace. At least in 2018, they sort of tried to hit the batsman with pace under uh, Saker. But that was not, not the just case. 2018. I think it, it has been happening I think for quite some time. In, ever since David Saker took over, Australia's limited was bowling has been particularly dire. And I saw that in the Champions Trophy in 2017 against England, when they just kept bowling short to Ben Stokes, and he was hooking and pulling them with disdain, and you know knocked Australia out of the tournament. Uh, and, and yeah, I think I think David Seeker's app, you know, sacking or you know his resignation or whatever you like to call it, I think that has made a big difference. Uh, as I said, I, I'm still not sure on Troy Cooley as a long-term replacement, but so far the work he has done is pretty good. But the interesting thing is that he, they've not continued with him for the World Cup and. Adam Griffith will be joining the team uh, to work as bowling coach for the World Cup. And Troy Cooley will be working with the team for the red ball stuff instead uh, for the Ashes. So that's an interesting move because I thought they might continue with Cooley after the recent improvement. But Griffith Griffith has a pretty good track record with Tasmania and domestic cricket. So I think think he's a decent choice as far as the bowling coach is concerned. And obviously the big name uh, is going to join the team at the World Cup. As, as the batting coach is Ricky Ponting. So it will be interesting to see the kind of inputs that he brings to the squad as well. So, yeah. That will be very interesting to have the likes of Langer and Ponting, you know, uh, giving a lot of input, like you said. So, uh, Bharat, uh, what uh, Sanke just said, uh, do you see Australia's schedule? And uh, of course, everyone has to play every team. But do you see the schedule favors them? Can they play their way into form? Or could you see any complicated matchups early in the tournament? Australia, Australia's style of play, they might sort of struggle a bit against a team like England because uh, I think that's one team they may struggle. Uh, South I Africa is, struggles against England. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not everyone. I, I'm not too sure. Maybe a few Asian sides trouble them. Uh, India is obviously another one. 
south africa with their pace attack uh, that's that's going to be an interesting match up i don't know how it will pan out in the one day series between australia and south africa recently south african pace attack troubled them a bit and uh, yeah a few of the asian teams if they get a slightly tight track again it depends on tight track uh, so these are the kind of teams that, that might uh, sort of trouble them i don't know new zealand i don't think they will really trouble australia much i don't think they have that kind of firepower against australia possibly have that pace attack to take out their main batsman guptil a uh, couple of them guptil and couple of them uh, roster i think they can take out their main batsman williamson uh, new zealand don't have that kind of firepower uh, obviously don't expect sri lanka to do much uh, west indies uh, It's an interesting side, but uh, again, Australia have the pace attack to take care of the West Indian hitters. So I think it, uh, South Africa is if you leave out obviously, obviously India and England. South Africa is one of the interesting sides there, and uh, yeah, pace, yeah, South Africa have a, yeah have a good pace attack as well. These guys hit the deck. Engidi, Longi Engidi, he was really impressive in 2018. Yeah, yeah. in one day cricket hits that deck very hard so they have that kind of pace like for a quick pitch i don't know what's the situation with norge injured his shoulder but it's another one who can cram crank it up at 148 150 km per hour so they have these new guns uh, along alongside yeah. of course hillston and rabada i'm with you there i'm with you i think south africa probably the toughest match for uh, australia outside of england i'd say probably even tougher than india Okay, let me just throw this back at you. This is a good conversation. We're moving forward with Australia. Uh, every team, you know, that wins a World Cup, there's an ugly match or there's a you know scrappy fight that you know a team has to go through, even the favourites. So when the going gets tough and uh, you know there's a complicated chase, is Maxwell your guy? Who, who do you think? I mean, I know this is like a very hypothetical, but who can come through in those situations like Bevan used to do back in the day? Dhoni has done it for India. Who's going to be the closer in a very complicated, ugly chase? Are, are there any nominees you have? Tough, tough question. Tough question. And honestly, honestly speaking, I, I'm not too sure there is anyone in this current team because I think you know, even though I know it's just one match, but I think Ashton Turner showed signs in that ODI at Mohali that he could be that guy. He took apart a high-quality Indian attack. Yes, there was some dew, and, and the bowlers were clearly at a disadvantage. But for a guy in the second ODI to come out and smash the bowlers of the quality of Bumrah and Kuldeep Yadav and Uneshwar Kumar of the disdain that he did. guy playing the second game i think that was really impressive and that that is one of the reasons why i, I said earlier uh, in the podcast as well that he would personally be in my squad because i think he offers something unique to say someone like a shawn marsh or a peter hanscom or a steve smith uh, so you know with him almost certainly expected to not make the cut uh, then glen maxwell is probably the only you know that lower lower middle order type batsman who was there but you know glen maxwell is not someone that i would ever trust even even if he is and in the, in the best of form he's not someone that you can expect that you can bank upon to close close a game because he he plays a very high risk game and you know he's very inconsistent on his day i think he's probably as destructive as anyone in the game but he unlike say josh butler who, who many compare josh butler to glen maxwell that both are similar players and both are very destructive but i think josh butler is i think a lot more consistent than glen maxwell is he's more of a conventional batsman Uh, yeah, he can he can play the long innings as well. He can rebuild in innings, and he can also play uh, come in and blast from ball one. Whereas Glenn Maxwell, I think, is a lot more one-dimensional, and I'm not too sure whether he has that ability to you know see off the see off a tough run chase. So, so compared uh, again, to co- compared sure. to Butler, has uh, Maxwell been given you know a longer rope? I mean, I don't I know you know Australians. scenarios pretty well why maxwell sometimes doesn't feature in the playing 11 but do you think he's been given enough of a longer rope to to be compared to a butler consistently yeah i yeah, i think i'm not too sure about the exact stats but i think maxwell might have played more or less than just butler and yeah i think maxwell has been given enough of a rope and you know before the recent series against pakistan he had made i think two half centuries in the preceding three years so that just tells you just how dire his odi form was Uh, obviously he has responded strongly against pakistan with three half centuries in a row which is kind of unprecedented for someone like len maxwell but i think the jury is still out on whether he can do it in a pressure situation whether he can do it in a tight run chase because i think the one opportunity that he had against india was it was in that odi at nagpur i know the conditions were there were tough but uh, you know he was in great form he had a great t20 series 
And the, the, Australia had a pretty good start. Aaron Finch and Kawaja had given a very strong opening stand. And that was the opportunity for Glenn Maxwell to play a really mature innings, you know, score of, say, 50 or 60 balls and see the chase home. And instead, he played one of his worst ODI innings of all time, scored, you know, couldn't rotate the strike and you know, just plodded around and just threw, it, threw his wicket away and got four of 20, 20 balls or something like that. So, you know, and then again at Mohali on a flat track, he... he he got he got 20 of 10 or something like that and then again threw it threw his wicket away and it was down to the inexperienced turner to finish the game for australia so i'm i'm not too sure about maxwell's ability to finish games or finish close games off i think if australia ha- have to chase and personally that, that that's one of the reasons why i prefer australia batting first uh yeah, because i'm not too sure australia have too many strong chases in the side but if australia have to chase then i think it will be one of the top order batsmen someone like aaron finch or david warner or steve smith uh, they are the ones who have to see the chase home because the lower middle order, you know, Alex Carey at seven doesn't really inspire a lot of confidence. Marcus Stone is, as I said, he wouldn't even be in my squad, so it doesn't really inspire any confidence. Maxwell on his day can be destructive, but again, not someone that you want to bank upon. So that lower middle order, even though there is some potential there, especially in the form of Maxwell, but it's not a very reliable lower middle order. So I think the owners will be on one of the top three or top four really back through and get Australia home, especially when they chase. So, Bharat, same question to you, but in a slightly different manner, because Sanket explained, you know, some of the handicaps this Australian team has, like, say, in a complicated chase, he doesn't feel comfortable. You think that's one department where you agree with him that uh, Australia do fall short in comparison to the other two big favourites, India and England. They don't bat that deep. Yeah, that middle-lower order is... Not great. I actually thought uh, Aston Turner could have been a uh, Turner could have been a good gamble because he's someone who doesn't just hit the ball hard. He's someone who can rotate the strike. Uh, I've seen that in, even in the VBL. He's someone who is smart at rotating the strike. He seems to know how to pace the innings. But of course, uh, the team is left. That is also one of the reasons. That is also one of the reasons why I have Mitchell Marsh over Marcus Toynis. Because if he's there, I think he's a pretty good chaser. He's got a very good record chasing in, in one-day cricket. And he and he's, again, like you said, he can rotate the strike just like Ashton Turner. Whereas Stoinis is pretty much, is your Miss Bowler type of batsman. Block, block, and then smash, which doesn't really work, especially yeah, when you chase. The only point yeah, in Stoinis is, uh, from Stoinis' perspective is, uh, someone I've seen in a couple of games, one was, one was, was New Zealand, I think. I was doing test commentary for that. And he's someone while chasing. He seems to be good under pressure. He seems to be good under pressure. Couple of games I've seen that. Yeah, but he's he's not someone who rotates the strike well because he's not good. He's not a risky player. He's someone who blocks or hits. Uh, that is one thing for sure. Is Tony? He's not a good uh, player of spin as well in terms of rotation and strike. But one good point about Tony is uh, obviously that's with regard to his bowling. He's someone. Uh, one of the few Australian bowlers, at least in 2018, we started using the cutters. But again, when it comes to lower middle order, uh, when you compare, at least especially to England, obviously they don't have that sort of depth. And if they're chasing something like 330, 340, and if they lose uh, wickets up front, then yes, Australians are in some trouble there. All right, so I think we covered quite a lot for the Australian squad. We exchanged some notes and, you know, the two experts have weighed in. So I think uh, we have 20 minutes remaining for the show. I think it's fair to bring in some retrospect on the English side. So, Sanket, uh, that's another squad that's going to be announced on the 17th of this month. Uh, they are the favourites. Uh, England is hosting the World Cup for the fifth time. They haven't still won it. Cricket is as English a game that's out there. So you think uh, what kind of squad they are putting, according to you, uh, when they go and try to win their first cup? Yeah, I think they'll open with Roy and Bairstow, uh, Joe Root at number three, Owen Morgan number four, Ben Stokes, Josh Butler, Moin Ali, Adil Rashid, Jofra Archer, I think he'll, he'll come in uh, because uh, they have fast-tracked his qualification process so that they could pick him for the World Cup. And he's, I think, he's, up, along with Jaspreet Boomer, I think he's probably the best fast bowler in limited overs cricket right now. He's been brilliant in the IPL as well. So he, he'll get in there. And then I think Mark Wood was very impressive in the series against West Indies and was a very high-scoring series. And then the third seamer will probably be one of uh, Chris Wokes, who has been one of their mainstays in ODI cricket over the last couple of years, but had a poor series in the West Indies. 
or they could if they want a left arm option they could probably look at someone like david willey then the backup setting you know alex hales will obviously be the backup batsman and uh, the backup seamer they said david willey uh, or chris wokes whoever misses out from the starting 11 liam plunkett will probably be there even though his bowling has sort of declined a little bit over the last 12 months compared to what it was say a couple of years ago but i think he'll probably make the squad i don't i don't expect him to feature in the playing 11 too often especially with jofra coming in and then the 15 spot i think they'll probably go in with maybe someone like liam dawson or a joe denley so probably a third spinning option or a spin uh, bowling all rounder like denley so that 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 that's probably that i was thinking that uh, some journalists are saying liam dawson uh, a 15 member but yeah i i feel joe denley will offer something more with his wrist spin the only problem so, is they already have three openers in you know roy besto and hales so denley is another opening batsman so whether he offers enough with the as far as can offer can also bat somewhere in the middle order needed or is there is there do they do they have a better spinner than liam dawson in domestic cricket with i was hearing about some guy called parkinson has been doing well in the one day tournament yeah, yeah. he's a pretty good spinner but is someone who can't bat so england england always look for this at least now they look for someone who can bat he can't bat much. total cricket isn't it total cricket so so bharat uh, adding to sanke squad do you see any differences the squad that you will be picking or is it something very similar what he has picked i think i'll pick similar one uh, only that final spots i think it's uh, something england will look at whether it's liam dawson or denley I'll go with Chris Fokes in the playing eleven. I think he's a steady bowler in one-day cricket. I know he didn't do well in West Indies, but he's a very steady bowler who hits repeatable lengths. Something that goes against him in T20 cricket because everything everything about him is nice. He has a nice and easy action, so high arm action. So perhaps uh, that becomes. I was thinking they maybe they could do it based on the opposition. Maybe against Sorry? a team like. I was thinking they maybe maybe they could just pick it based on the opposition. I think against a team like India, for example, we've got Rohit Sharma who struggles against the left arm, or Shikhar Dhawan as well. David Willey could be a good option because I think he had a really, really good series against India last year with bat as well as with the ball. Whereas against a team like, say, Australia, for example, you could go in with Wokes. He's done well against them. Against West Indies, again, you could probably go with David Willey because you know, they've got Chris Gayle and you know David Willey with his with the ball moving away from the left-hander. He could offer a decent option. So yeah, I think they could probably just. mix and match based on the opposition and the kind of match up that they face uh, bharat let me put you on the spot once again uh, in the 2015 world cup england was knocked out by bangladesh right and since then you know their resurgence and commitment to the white ball cricket is you know for everyone to see but how impressive it is for you to see this com- team come through and make you know make the commitment and, and they are coming into this world cup as a host favorite you know that's a very unusual tag because england has been there they have always had a very decent world cup team they've come into many world cups and you know even reached the finals but this is their world cup to lose that's a lot of people you know are seeing it that way of course it's a great turnaround because of 2015 world cup this uh, more was criticized and uh, that that was there was a kind of the team i think they were playing it felt like they were playing in 1995 or 1994 it didn't seem like they were uh, playing 2015 it seemed like they had taken a trip down the memory lane so uh, after that yeah they ushered in changes they have bought white ball specialists they have recognized that uh, nowadays conditions are pretty much flat so have uh, this they have bought in jason uh, they have got jason roy <coughs> they have got a barristo is really come of age in white ball cricket maybe might have affected his test game but he has come of age with white ball cricket and uh, then you have someone like josh butler who was there in the 2015 world cup uh, but he has uh, improved like anything uh, there's a bit of avd villas in his batting the way he plays uh, easy stuff will come and then you have of course jorud is the one who sort of is the main stay holds the innings together and i think ian morgan has played a huge part here uh, some say talk about trevor bellis but ian morgan has played a huge part he is is one of the better captains i believe going around someone who can take decisions brave decisions we saw that against new zealand in a one day match uh, last year it was it's a very close close game uh, and uh, yeah he showed uh, sort of uh, that sort of uh, 
he showed himself as a brave captain there with the kind of field placements so yeah i think ian morgan has instilled that sort of belief uh there is their bowling yeah it can be slightly they look they're slightly weak there uh but uh, with jofra archer in i think they should be decent enough attack because he someone is not people talk about jofra archer as just as a uh, t20 bowler but they forget that uh, in 2014 uh, when he came to england it was a uh, first class cricket he came through the ranks so he can bowl long spells in first class cricket uh, i've seen him bowl 35 40 overs uh, in first class cricket he's taken a lot of first class wickets so i am pretty sure he, he will uh, make a difference if if they pick him uh, so they 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 are front runners definitely maybe they have some weaknesses in terms of how they adapt to different conditions if you get different conditions plates better on tight tracks is a champions loss against uh, pakistan but if, if if in case if in case they get that occasional track which moves around a bit uh they may struggle but uh, they definitely one of the front runners alongside india and then there's a huge turnaround I, i would give it to ian morgan more than anyone else uh, for this turnaround hmm. oh, well said so sanket uh, today i think or maybe yesterday you were quoted on twitter you know uh, saying steve smith and uh, uh, joe root they really are not the premier players you know in a, in a tournament like ipl that can have you know four international players per team so you think that's an advantage for root that he is back in england not part of the ipl that his prep will be focused uh, you know away from the t20 format which is kind of a very different format than a 50 50 over tournament yeah i think i think so i think so because he is he's playing firstly you know uh, after the world cup you got the ashes as well so they're playing some first class cricket and they also playing after this after the first class games they playing a 50 over cricket so they playing you know both the formats that are that are really you know the two premier formats that they're going to be playing at the international level over the summer and i think joe root could possibly has the best preparation that he could have asked for you know is is going to be playing 50 over cricket for yorkshire i think i believe he scored 100 like for yorkshire in in the first class game against nottinghamshire recently is hit on the elbow by stuart broad And but but he recovered and scored a hundred. So yeah, he, he's shaping up pretty well, and and I think he's probably the best one-day batsman in the world, 50-over batsman in the world after Virat Kohli and Josh Butler, because he is as he's I think his consistency is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, averages over 50 in one-day cricket, scores at a pretty good clip as well, and I think his class was evident last year you know, when Kuldeep Yadav was tormenting batsmen in ODI cricket all over the world. and even troubled joe root to uh, quite a bit in the t20 series and in the first odi and then and first odi as well and then suddenly in the second odi you know england was struggling they had lost a couple of wickets and they were on they were playing on a pitch which was actually more suited to india because the pitch was on the slower side and it was assisting the spinners and then joe root came out and played a high quality innings and got them to 300 plus and that that was the innings that really turned that series around and then backed it up with another 100 headingly so i think that that for me really shows his class as a odi batsman and you know, he's there have he's, he's had some issues in test cricket recently uh, he's been struggling a little bit but i think in 50 over cricket he is for me is right up there in the top 3 uh, i think he, i think he's a very good test batsman as well but i think 50 over cricket for me is i think that's his best format hmm. i'll just add one point to about roots if i can sure so, go, go ahead yeah yes. yeah yeah Drut, uh, when it comes to handling Kuldeep Yadav, one point uh, you have to consider is how he opened himself up so that he can uh, cover up for that blind spot that a right-handed batsman will have against a Chinaman ball of bowling from over the wicket. Uh, when he scored those, uh, when he played those two knocks in the second and third ODI, so in a way he showed it to others. how to play cool he opened himself up and that helped him even in the ipl recently we, we are seeing shy side uh, was opening himself up in school the pair and handled him well and uh, australian players also handled him well in three Ka- or three games was played him particularly well yeah, that's left hander so this talking about right handers uh, so yeah, hands come right hand yeah because lot of them are now opening themselves up against kuldeep uh, yadav and that's helping helping them right handed batsman that is hi right, so bharat uh, next question is for you uh, like india have the big 3 in uh, sharma dhawan and uh, kohli you know uh, 
what is England's big three? Uh, enlighten some of us who don't really follow English cricket that much. Or they even have a big four. Do they have a batting repertoire that's deeper than India? This they have that sort of all-round strength. Uh, you know, Joe Butler coming in. You know, Chris Oakes, <coughs> if he plays on the, if they want to play, they can play David Willey, and he's a, he's a bit like Tisara Pereira kind of hitter, uh, very underrated hitter, someone who can be a floater. So lower down the order, they have that. And Jofra Archer, uh, I've seen him in first class cricket. He surely can bat. I'm not saying he's an all rounder, but he can definitely hold. Uh, in innings together if needed and if needed he can slog if someone can slog like a typical uh, with a typical Caribbean flavor uh, then go down the order Adil Rashid can get a 20 yard there's more in Ali who's been struggling a bit uh, here and there when they cricket but yeah he, he can uh, also score runs so load on the order they have it uh, they can bat deep uh, very deep uh, in terms of the big uh, big guns definitely Joe Butler is the one, uh, the way he's batting in limited overs crickets. Uh, we saw that today as well as Mumbai Indians. Again, I tweeted as well that he reminds me a bit of A.B. Davis, the way he bats. Uh, his poise, his, his, uh, <coughs> the way he picks the length quickly, uh, all these things. It reminds me a bit of A.B. Davis. I'm not comparing them exactly. Uh, then, of course, uh, you have Joe Root. Uh, this is class batsman and test cricket seems like he wants to score very quickly. Uh, so sometimes he gives his wicket away. We saw that in West Indies as well a couple of times. He got a couple of uh, crackerjack deliveries, but uh, he seems to throw his wicket away in test cricket. Monday cricket, he just plays his own game. That's I think that's the main difference. Uh, uh, that's why he's clicking in one day crickets. So, Joe Root is someone who's very consistent in one internationals, Butler, and then there is one, so then there is Adil Rashid. I think he's, he's been a huge plus for England. I'm not saying he's some great limited overs bowler, but again, Ian Morgan has given, seems to have given him a lot of confidence that they don't see with England captains. They don't give uh, so much of confidence to Lex Pinus. We saw that in West Indies, he was using him in the end overs and he actually won them a match uh, with his Lex Pin. Uh, he's a huge plus for them, uh, Rashid. And uh, if you really want to dig deeper, uh, I think they need X need an X-factor and pace attack and it has to come from uh, uh, Jofra. So, these are some of their uh, big players. Obviously, around them, you have Jason Roy, Barstow. Especially Barstow's limited overs game has really come of age. He's absolutely hampering attacks uh, left, right and centre. I, I think it has affected his test game. But uh, Limidor's cricket has come up with Jason Roy is there. So, yeah, they, they have good all-down strength. That's, that's one thing. They, uh, sometimes they go with this Gungo approach. Sometimes they just lose their way. They can be suddenly 4 for 80 or 5 for 100. The one problem, their one issue could be they might be sweating a bit over Ben Stokes since he's returned in 2018. His batting form has not been at its best. Uh, I can't remember too many of those flamboyant innings that uh, you think of associating with Ben Stokes. That is, there's a bit of worry for them. So batting the bowling has also been disappointing. Yeah, it's bowling in one-day cricket. In, in one-day cricket, yeah. It's not been never been great. He's average 38, 40. It's his batting because someone who's getting hundreds in 2017, he was getting lots of hundreds, 2016 and 2017. That's the game is sort of uh, is try to play different sort of game where you can take singles, twos. That's not Ben Stokes. You really you want Ben Stokes it. to, yeah, you really want him to sort of uh, come in and score boundaries, sixes, someone who stamps his presence. Uh, that's what you want with Ben Stokes. So, that's, that's a bit of worry. Mohin Ali also is a little bit of worry, but they're very good all-round strength, that's for sure. Hi, that's a very complete account of you know what to expect from uh, the English uh, batting lineup. So, Sanket, uh, one last question on England. We are approaching the closure of the show. Uh, given you know, they have a very decent balance and they're one of the clear favourites, are there any matchups? In, in you know in the schedule where you know suppose they win the toss and would they be doing the same against every team you suppose if they come against an india would they be would they fancy their chances setting or or chasing the target i think england i think if you look at the record chasing um, it, it, it is extremely formidable i think they've got a 7 is to 1 winning ratio or something like that 
uh, chasing over the last couple of years. Obviously, they also have a brilliant record batting plus as well because the, the kind of batting lineup that they have, they have the ability to pretty much bat bat you out of the game. Uh, so I think, you know, as far as in, I think as far as matchups are concerned, I think they're tough of matchups, and I think there are only two teams that can realistically beat them. One is India, obviously, because India have got the bowling attack that can subdue the uh, English batting lineup, and other and the other other team, uh, the other way to beat them is to match them for firepower. And one team that can do that, as we saw recently, is the West Indies. They've got Chris Gayle, who's in, who's firing on all cylinders, seems extremely motivated to retire on a high from international cricket. Andre Russell. You know, didn't play in that series against England, but he's been, you know, setting the IPL alight. Um, you know, scored runs in pretty much every innings, which is extremely unusual for a guy who bats at five, six or seven, uh, and to be so consistent in the format like T20. Obviously, 50 over cricket is a different challenge, and his his ODI record is not quite as good as his T20 record. But again, the kind of form that he's in, you know, you can never write them off. So I hope I think he for me has been the real big difference in the West Indies side. So they've got a very formidable side there. And in Australia again, Australia I don't really fancy the chances against England because I think Australia's bowling attack is primarily pace oriented, and England love to face that kind of bowling. And Australia don't really have the firepower or the bat to compete with someone like England. I think David Warner and Glenn Maxwell are probably the only two batsmen who who got the firepower to compare with anything of the kind that England have got. So I think you know the okay. only way to beat England, I think is to you know really. Like, uh, maybe get be honest. on a solo turner or you know, yeah, outside them like this. Uh, on a tight track, someone like Pakistan, yeah, if, they, if they ever get a tight track, they may trouble them. Yeah. Okay, guys, so we have two minutes left. So I'll give you both one minute each. A little tricky question at the end, but uh, I think you both can handle. So, Sanket, I'll give you Australia. Define the pros and cons or strengths and weaknesses of the Australian captain. And then, uh, Bharat, you can do for the English captain and we can wrap up the show. So, Sanket, go ahead now. Pros and cons. I think Aaron Finch, I think one of the positives about Aaron Finch's captain is that I think he's quite aggressive. I think he's a lot more proactive than Steve Smith. And I think he seems to be willing to back the spinners. And, and, and Adam Tampa has clearly flowered into his captaincy. As far as his negatives are concerned, I think you know one of the major one of the major you know mistakes that a captain can do you know in limited overs cricket is uh, is misallocation of overs. And Aaron Finch seems to have miscalculated his you know the uh, over overs allotment for his bowlers, you know, quite a few times now over the last few months. So that is definitely a matter of concern, especially when you're defending a total. And, you know, you ultimately you have to bowl with someone like a Marcus Stoinis to death because you already used your uh, main bowlers up up front because, you know, you, you're not quite sure how many bowlers they have, uh, how many overs they have left. So this is a very elementary error and not something that you would expect from a captain at this level. So hopefully that's something that he can work upon. Uh, okay, Bharat, you go ahead now. One minute. Morgan, as I said, is a brave captain. He's definitely has been the man who's turned the fortunes of England around. Someone who's used leg spin a lot uh, for the industry. That that's that's a huge uh, that's a huge change for any English captain. I've not seen a single English captain, even Nazir Hussain, whoever it is, uh, they don't don't uh, really look at wrist spin. That is that is something that's different with Ian Morgan. He's, he's a brave. Certainly, brave captain. He gave even Tom Curran in. Uh, he really backed Tom Curran a couple of limited doors matches. One was in New Zealand. One was against Australia at uh, the Perth Stadium. That's in 2018. Uh, and he's a youngster. He was a youngster. He backed him and he started generating reverse swing in that huge reverse swing. I don't know how he got that huge reverse swing. Maybe via the hard edges of the pitch, uh, they, he got it. So. Uh, but he backed this youngster and he got five wickets in that match. So someone who backs bowlers, gives uh, attacking fields. So Ian Morgan is definitely he's made a huge difference. I don't know what weakness. Maybe if England come the final uh, somewhere right at the end, uh, I want to see whether he can be that brave as a captain. Okay, well uh, said. That's, that's something. Hi. I think, guys, we covered quite a lot. Thanks for doing this. We'll be back next week covering another team. Until then, goodbye and thanks for listening.